Tonight we look at Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll find that in the back of your hymnals, page 888. Looking also at the prophet Isaiah's words and the context in which he received prophecy from the Lord to speak uh, to the people. Isaiah 57, page 617, and also Isaiah 66. We'll be looking at Isaiah 57 and Isaiah 66 to set the context for our consideration of genuine conversion, more, more than empty actions. Remember the historical context of the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism. There were accusations that teaching salvation by grace alone through faith alone would lead to immorality and licentiousness, and the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism were concerned that their critics be answered and that believers be committed to holiness, that this was part of what it meant to be made new in Christ. The glory of the gospel was increased in the eyes of all when Christ came to reveal that he had come to save people from every nation, not just to save those who bore the right group name or the right uh, in the right nation, but he came to save people from every nation. As we heard last week, we are redeemed for God, that is for his glory, and redeemed for good. We are to be those who are living for good. Tonight we turn our attention to the book of Isaiah. The people of God and their leaders were acting irresponsibly. There is a description of that in Isaiah 56, verses 9 through 12. They are not acting in a way that uh, they should have been. Their status as God's people was, was in doubt as we were to look at them from the outside. Israel was fascinated with the cults, fascinated with the, the uh, tension of the nations, wanting to be fitting in with the nations. And they're uh, hungry for that acceptance. And God rebuked them for that desire, for desiring the nations and their acceptance more than pursuit of God and His Word. And He called them to turn to Him. The righteous, it says in chapter 57, the opening verse of chapter 57, were perishing and no one seemed to notice. No one seemed to be all that terribly concerned that the righteous were were disappearing. Sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it, in our culture where the righteous seem to uh, to be dwindling and no one seems to care. In fact, there are many, if you ask them, take a poll, they would say, well, that's probably a better thing. That's probably better. And yet, God says it is... Righteousness, which exalts a nation. And so we ought to be concerned about it. The Israelites were acting as children of transgression, verse 4 says of Isaiah chapter 57. They bore the name of Israel, their ancestor, but this would not protect them from the wrath of God against their sin. What was needed was true conversion. And that's the teaching that heads the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism to which we turn tonight. As we do so, we read those few verses, one from Isaiah 57 and one from Isaiah 66, considering what God would have for his people. Isaiah 57, verse 15, hear this word of the Lord. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place 
and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. A very important passage, people of God, to memorize, to remember when the culture seems to be exalting those who are famous for being famous, those who want to put their name and their, their uh, product line in front of the world today looking for praise of men. Here the scripture reminds us, and we need to be reminded, don't we, regularly, that God is near to those who are humble and contrite, who tremble at his word. That's what we see in Isaiah 66, the second half of verse 2. God says, this is the one to whom I will look. The uh, NIV translate, this is the one whom I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Who is desirous to obey my word. The people of God, our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father is not one who needs our sacrifices. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 50. But he also calls us to sacrifices of praise. We are those who are not to praise ourselves, to sacrifice to ourselves, but we are those who are to praise God to make Him great in our lives as we lift up His name. We're reminded that God calls us to worship, to humble ourselves before Him. We're to sing His praises for He's worthy of praise. He redeems and He renews us. We're a holy people called out of darkness to His marvelous light to declare His praises for He has delivered us. What we need is true conversion turning away from that natural bent that we heard about this morning to praise of God, to be living for Him. We do that in word and in deed by His grace and by the power of His Spirit. Scripture says this, the grace of God appeared that we might say no to ungodliness. That we might say no to ungodliness. And that we would say no to worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. There is a distinction there, isn't there? From that past way of life to how we are to live through the power of the Spirit. We saw last week that no one who does not turn from sin, or one who does not turn from sin to God, that that one cannot be saved. Question answer 87 spoke of that. The impenitent, the unbelieving sinner cannot be saved. We must turn to God. God calls out often to humanity throughout His Word saying, Turn lest you perish. Turn lest in your sins you be judged unto eternal condemnation. Scriptures say that He esteems those who turn from sin to Him. What is involved in that turning? Let's look now at Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We're looking just first at 88, 89, and 90. We'll get 91, question answer 91, toward the end of this evening's sermon. But first, what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. Question 89, what is the dying away of the old self? It's to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. Question 90, what is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good 
work. That then first this evening, the first point being genuine conversion consisting of the killing of our sin nature. Genuine conversion puts to death the old self. There is something that is put to death in genuine conversion. Something that is let go of, we might say, or ended. And that is for good. That is the old self. There are many today who talk about grace as though it were freedom for identifying in a certain way or living a certain way and saying, yes, I'm amazed by grace. Amazing grace is this, that God loves me even though, I'm, even though I am who I am and I just do the things that I want to do. And there is this notion that grace just excuses whatever I believe is true for me. Now, grace truly is amazing that God would deliver us as wretched sinners from our sin and call us His children. How amazing. Behold, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, 1 John 3, 1. For that is what we are. That is amazing. But it is the call as God's children to live in the light of of His Word. Trembling before that Word as He says through Isaiah in chapter 66, as those who are humble and contrite in spirit and trembling at His Word. Those who believe that the amazing thing about grace is that they can live however they want seem to say, well, God fits next to all of my other priorities He fits nicely there along all of my other idols, all of my other bents. But if anyone is in Christ, the Scripture says what? It says he is a or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. There is something that has been removed and there is something now that takes its place. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says. You can turn there if you'd like. Colossians chapter 3, talking about that old self and what it consists of. Colossians 3 verse 5, Paul talks there about what we are called to do. If Christ is your life, right? Indeed, he, since he is your life, when he appears, what will he find? He wants you to be living in Him, setting your mind on things above. And then he says, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What are some of those things? Sexual immorality. Impurity. Passions. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then to make very clear, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God is angry with sin, and he will punish it justly. God warns that these sins will be judged. We cannot excuse our sin by saying God simply made me this way, or grace is amazing in this, that God loves me no matter what I do or what I say. In part, that's true, isn't it? Because we still sin and we fall. But we must find our forgiveness for sin in Christ. Confessing that sin and wanting to put to death that which belongs to the old 
yourself. A Christian life is a battle against the world and its priorities and desires, against the devil, as we heard this morning from Genesis chapter 3, and a battle within our own hearts. I don't know the source, if the source of this quote is, is, is exactly accurate. I've heard it told a number of different ways, but there is a, there's a story of a Cherokee chief saying to, his, uh, to a young boy, he tells him a story about the fact that there are two wolves living within him. He said to this young boy, and he said, and they're, they're, at, they're fighting all the time, and the young boy says, well, how do we know which one's going to win? There's, a, there's an evil wolf, he says, and a good wolf. Oh, now, bear with me, that's perhaps not the best theological uh, illustration, but there, there, there's a battle going on, and he's, he says, which one's going to win? Which one's going to win? And he said, whichever one you feed the most. What is it that we're feeding? Are we feeding that old self? Are we feeding those passions, those desires that, uh, that, that we've just heard about there uh, delineated by Paul in Colossians 3? Are we feeding? Are we being fed by the Spirit of God? The passage goes on to delineate other sins. Verses 8 and 9, you must put away all of these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Trust you can see that we have great need of a Savior, for these things do characterize us. We are to be putting those to death. We are to speak truth to one another. We are not to be angry with one another, to be wrathful, to be slanderous, to be obscene in our speech, but to put them to death. Being children of God is not simply a title that we wear, but an identity which transforms. The dying away of the old self is defined for us in the catechism. Answer 89, what is the dying away of the old self? The answer, to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. One of the passages that the writers of the catechism use to illustrate that is Psalm 51, we sang that tonight, and we uh, see that psalm in the context of the life of, of David's life, remembering that this is written after Nathan comes to him and reminds him of what he has done, or, or points out to him what he has done, so that David might see it for all of its ugliness. And David says, after committing sin with Bathsheba, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, O Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. To be genuinely sorry for sin before the Lord. Before the Lord. David, didn't come, David came to a place of personal repentance. He didn't blame his circumstances. He didn't blame Bathsheba for the situation He recognized that he had sinned against the Lord, and he offered this to the Lord, verse 17, which we sang just a few moments ago. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. What is God looking for? He's looking for a heart that is broken by sin, that is contrite. This the Lord will not despise. It's not simply offering sacrifices and saying, through the offering of those sacrifices, one can be saved. It is that one recognizes that our heart, our, the center of our being is to be the home 
where God dwells. Jesus says, I will come to you, my Father and I will come to you and dwell in you by the Spirit. And we are those then who are to be sorry for sin, to hate and run from it. Through the prophet Joel, the Lord spoke to uh, the people as well, and he said this, don't only rend your garments, bring your broken hearts to me that I might deliver you from sin. They were rending their garments, going through all of the, the, the ceremony of, 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 a, of a repentance, and yet God could see their hearts, that their hearts were far from him, and they were trusting in their actions more than they were confessing and being truly sorry for their sins. In Isaiah's day, the same call was being given using different words. They were recognizing the Sabbath. Indeed, they were recognizing the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, but from motives that were not pure. He was saying to the people, keep the Sabbath not merely in motions, but in heart. In effect, rest from your sins. Turn from your sins. Turn from doing evil and do good. He says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 56, verse 2, people of God, the people of God are not, uh, not only so before others, but when they are alone, they are those who delight in God's Word and seek to live according to it. This is true conversion, genuine conversion. It is ceasing from sinful activity and awareness that our sinful desire must be confessed and that we are to give ourselves wholly to God, recognizing His good and pleasing and perfect will. As Paul states it in Romans 12, John Owen in his book on mortification, entitled Mortification of Sin says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he's commenting on Romans 8, verse 13, where we read, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds, the sins of the flesh, you shall live. There is genuine conversion. You're putting sin to death. Well, secondly then, genuine conversion is delighting in God. It's delighting in God. The new self delights in God What is the rising to life of the new self? Question 90, the answer, wholehearted joy in God through Christ. First, this evening, under this point, genuine conversion, delighting in God. The people of God should say that the Lord is my delight. In Him is my life. As the psalmist said, we heard tonight in Psalm 18, He is my delight. In Him, I can scale a wall. In Him is my refuge. We must ask ourselves, where is my joy found? What really makes me, what fills me with joy? Is it being with the Lord? Is it it studying His Word? Is it being with His people? Or is it some some other activity or some other place that, that truly gives me joy? And then we need to take those priorities and set them right and ask God to help us to delight in Him. For genuine conversion is wholehearted joy in God through Christ. Often often we try to stir up that joy on Sunday morning by listening to good music, following traditions, perhaps spending time with God's people. And these are good things to prepare our hearts for worship, but, but we ought to be joyful at all times. 
filling our hearts, our, filling our ears and our uh, uh, see, looking at that which is God-honoring, God-glorifying. Joy in God is a distinguishing characteristic of God's people at all times. Paul, when he saw what was, when he heard what was going on as he was in prison writing and he wrote the epistle to the Philippians, said this, I, I know what I'm, I'm hearing, I, I, I know what's going on. He says, but I consider it all joy. And he says, my great delight is this, that Christ is preached. Though they may be preaching out of selfish ambition, out of vain conceit, he says this, my delight is that Christ is being preached. That is my great joy. He could find joy even in these, these difficult circumstances. He being in prison and these others with ill-conceived motives preaching Christ. Joy delights to talk about God. The joyful find refreshment in reminding each other of God's sovereignty, His care, His compassion, His unchanging nature, and on and on we could go. We find joy in the doctrines of God. Doctrine is not a joy killer, but a joy feeder. It, is, it helps us to understand what is true. I've been studying the book of Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, hoping that in, in, in months ahead we can look at that book together. And what, I, what is so fascinating, what is so powerful about the book is that what John sees is the reality behind what we see on earth. What is, what is true? Christ is reigning. <laughs> The victory has already been won. There are things that are happening in the world that uh, uh, are explained there in an apocalyptic way. But what is true behind all of it is that Christ reigns. And He rejoices in that as He receives the revelation. A wholehearted joy in God. Secondly, a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every, every kind of good work. What does love and delight look like? What does it look like to live according to the will of God? Doing every kind of good work. Right as the catechism pick up on this as they study the Scripture, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God should be our passion. That's what it means to be walking with the Lord. We recognize that we belong to the Lord. Whatever we do, we are to love and to delight in God's will and to His glory. I was thinking of Joseph in that context. There was, to be sure, there was so much that Joseph had to learn as he, as he grew and as he got older. But there was so much adversity that he went through. And, and after it all had passed, after all of these things that, that he had overseen came uh, uh, behind him and his father died, he said to his brothers, what you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. And then listen to what he says. He meant it for good, to accomplish what is now being done. There is good being done. This is his, his offering to, to the Lord in, in, the, in the saving of many lives, it says there, Genesis 50, verse 20. In the saving of many lives. There is good being done. Jo, uh, Joseph was acting on behalf of the people of Egypt, but, uh, but in a much grander scale than he realized in helping the people of God to survive through the famine that was surrounding them. We must think about our life that way. As we live according to God's will, we will face adversity in the world. But delight in this, that God is saving lives, first and foremost through His Spirit's work, but also through the, through the good of His people. 
as we seek to do every kind of good work, people see and learn the goodness of God through his people who adorn the gospel in their joy-filled living, as Paul wrote to Timothy, to adorn the gospel in joy-filled living. It's our privilege to be called by God to show the way of life. And we pray that God would give us delight in sacrificing for him, putting others first in the home, in our community, and in every facet of our lives. For we recognize it is more blessed to give than to receive. I was reminded this week as I was listening to uh, a, a history podcast, it was 50 years ago this week that Watergate happened. And most of you are, are uh, aware of that. There may be some here, I think, that, that perhaps that's ancient history. But um, 1972, um, the, the break-in and the, the, the crime that was committed during the, uh, the uh, presidency of Nixon, and there were... Charges leveled, and Chuck Colson, President Nixon's right-hand man, was, was found guilty of, of breaking the law, and he was put in prison. And God delivered him in one of the most astounding modern-day uh, conversion stories that we, can, that we can imagine as we think about how uh, he, he was led to Christ and uh, how he, uh, his life was changed. And the result is, is in what was, be, what was done. We think of uh, the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. We think of Prison Fellowship. We think of Project Angel Tree and all of these things that, that Chuck Colson oversaw as a, as, a, as a testimony to the genuine conversion that he wanted to live for others and not for his own legacy. There, was, there were those who said he only did that so he could get out of jail. But his, his life tells a different story. He was caring for others. There was a new creation there. The old had gone. The new was being seen and being formed. What is, what's my life story going to be? What's your life story going to be? Oh, we may not be remembered as Chuck Colson is. We may not have a podcast. We may not have a center for worldview. But how are we going to be remembered? Well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord is the one who sees what we are doing Are we busy in every kind of good? Genuine conversion delights in God and delights in doing every kind of good. Then the writers of the catechism define what a good work is. And that's where we come to the last question and answer of Lord's Day 33. But what are? What are good works? And the answer, only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for His glory, not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Writers of the Catechism go on to define what is good over against how this had come to be understood in the church of that day, and they give what I see to be four aspects of that. First, what is good? That which is done out of true faith. Writer of the Hebrews says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. We believe that God saves us not because of what we do or have done, but purely out of recognition for Christ's sacrifice, His substitutionary atonement, His death on the cross in our place to cover all our sins. And only Christ's goodness is faultless and perfect and able to merit salvation. We must do then all that we do with our hopes in Him, giving thanks to the Father for him and through him, for to him belongs all the glory, Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six. Done out of true faith, acknowledgement that God has worked a great work 
that he alone receives the glory. Then secondly, what is good, that which conforms to God's law. Goodness is not defined or redefined by us. Goodness is defined by God. That's why the presence of his word and his spirit is so important in our lives. That is why study of God's word is so necessary. Paul goes on in in, in Colossians chapter 3 after talking about what to put off to what to put on. He says, as those dearly loved, put on compassion and kindness, goodness. And he says this in verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish. What is good? What is right? It is the teaching of the Lord. And we have to be teaching one another. Speaking that word. He says, the, word, the Lord says throughout his, throughout his inspired word, be careful to do all that I have commanded you. Paul says this, keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, after he's just articulated in, earlier in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit as those who are made new by the Spirit. We are those who desire to conform our lives to God's law. That is what is good. Thirdly, they're done for His glory. Goodness has a right motive as well. What motivates good, we have to ask ourselves. But it is, it is this. We want God to be glorified. And Jesus speaks there in Matthew chapter 5. He speaks of, that, uh, of those beatitudes. And then at the end of that section in Matthew 5 verse 16... He's speaking to them about what it looks like to be the, 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 the people of God. You'll be the light of the world. You are to be those who um, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, that he might receive the honor and the glory. Paul says elsewhere, whatever you do, whether, whatever, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, may it be, let it be to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And then the writers of the catechism close with what good works uh, are not. It says that good works are not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. We have a way of making laws or traditions that God has not commanded so that we can turn to them and, and turn away from what God has commanded. We invent new paths of goodness that we, uh, that we define, we invent new paths to salvation. We invent new paths of confession. Sacramental observance was, was one of those in, in the days of the Reformation. The sacraments do not impart grace. Their goodness is not in that we were saved through keeping them. They're good because God has given them to us to point to Christ and what He has done. What He has given for the believer's assurance of salvation. In the days of the Reformation, the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church taught that their stewarded traditions and their teachings were the source of all good, the source of salvation. The Reformers questioned their traditions and their teachings, their understanding of God's Word, and wanted to bring it back to a right understanding. There's a danger in every age of this, not just in that day, but in every age that we seek to establish new measurements our own standards by which we want to be brought to God. And yet God says, no one can come to me except he who is perfect, conforming perfectly to my law. And we in ourselves cannot do this. The church cannot do this for us. We must repent and believe and turn to 
Christ in faith. To go back to Isaiah's day where we opened this evening. In Isaiah's day, the people were not listening to him. They, they were, their hope was on their traditions and his teaching they found to be empty, to be meaningless. But their practices were empty of faith and void of humble obedience. They no longer understood what was taught and how it was to point them to their need of God. And they were practicing them out of custom and superstition as a means to make God indebted to them, thinking that it was their goodness which would save them. And Isaiah was warning them that they were operating in a way that was outside of the humble, the the humility that they were to have before the one true God. And he warned them that they were acting as children of transgression, not as those who were humble and contrite. He says this, the one who is high and lifted up, who is far above the heavens, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, he's setting this all up so that we might see that he's far above us, that we could not reach him. He is the one who says this, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. This is the one to whom I look. This is the one I esteem, the one who is humble and contrite, the one who trembles at my word. The one who trembles, the one who recognizes God's word for what it is, the commands of God, also seeks then to respond to God's goodness, to his mercy and to his promises by showing a grateful obedience. Paul, in speaking to the Ephesians, says this in Ephesians 2 as we close. He says that we are those who are saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works for us to do. As we grow in our faith and our lives, it will conform. We will conform more and more to His law, which is what we will be looking at in the weeks ahead as we consider the Ten Commandments in this third section of the Catechism. But let us now ask the Lord to bless His Word to our hearts and to our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we think about this call of genuine conversion, we examine our hearts, we are to examine our lives and to look for the dying away of the old self, the sorrow over sin, the hatred of it, to the, the desire to run from it, and we are to look for the rising to life of the new, that is wholehearted joy in you through Christ, the love and delight to live according to the, your will by doing every kind of good. Lord, we thank you for directing us and for teaching us helping us understand the motive of good works, the, the message of good works that, is, that we are to, to give to others, and the reality of the good works that we are to display as those who recognize your grace and your mercy and want to respond in grateful obedience. Maybe go forth from this place with that desire, with that ever-increasing joy in doing good, wanting to walk with you, knowing that in you there is, there is peace. We are restless until our hearts find rest in you. And when we are found in you, we go forth with new joy as new creations, 
where the old is gone and the new has come. May that be true for us in this week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 533, have thine own way, Lord. A reminder as we sing that we are to be submitting to the Lord. We can only do that by His grace, by His mercy. We are praying that He would be the one who fills us with His Spirit so that others would see Christ only always living in me. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas, number 533. Let's offer up a prayer in connection with tonight's offering. Let us pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for your church that you build, that you sanctify, that you use to the spread of the gospel. We pray this evening for Messiah's Reformed Fellowship in New York City as they continue to minister. Uh, to minister in New York City. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would grant them faithfulness, grant them perseverance, grant them all that they need to be living that life of faith which points to Christ, that others would see their humility, 
recognize that they depend upon you, that they then in turn would turn to you. As we give these gifts, O Lord, we offer these prayers. Hear us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us stand together to confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page 851, 851 in uh, the hymnals, the version that we use. This in response to, Christian, what is it that you believe? We answer, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear people of God, may the God who did not even hold back His very own Son, but handed Him over for us all, provide you with every good thing that you need in order to do His will, that your lives might be pleasing to Him. Receive His parting blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.